I'm Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to this episode of Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast series. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with David Gibson, Manager of the Wholesale Division for H&R AgriPower, a 12-store Case IH dealership with locations in Kentucky, Alabama, Illinois, Mississippi, and Tennessee. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you are alerted when each upcoming episode is released, putting a world of content onto the phone in your pocket whenever and wherever you want to listen to it. And a quick reminder, plan to attend the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit January 8th through 9th in Louisville. The theme of this dealer-only event is bridging the precision profitability gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited and you can visit PrecisionFarmingDealerSummit.com for more information and updates. Before we turn things over to Casey and David, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who is making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. We all follow the auction market and track what's going on, but I feel David is the most informed on auction markets and watches it like a hawk. If you have an auction anywhere in your area, I can probably bet that David will be there. So, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on today. Man, it's a pleasure. So before we get started, why don't you give me a little bit of background on yourself and, and H&R and kind of the area you cover and, and, all, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I grew up on a cotton farm in West Tennessee near Memphis. Uh, our family, we farmed and we also owned a cotton gin. And I went to college from 79 to 83 with the goal of coming back home and moving into the farm, the family farming operation. Many people, as you were aware, in the 80s, the farm economy was pretty tough. And it, at that point, my dad and I sat down and uh, decided that I probably needed to go away and get a job for a few years. Well, I ended up getting a job with the Ford Tractor Ford Tractor Company as a contract employee at their training center in Memphis, Tennessee. This was about the time that Ford and New Holland merged. They transferred this young lady down to be a product instructor for New Holland, and long story short, we ended up getting engaged. The day we were engaged, they transferred her to New Holland, Pennsylvania. So I moved to Pennsylvania and uh, started to work for a uh, John Deere New Holland dealer as, as a setup guy and a truck driver. But wanted to get in sales, finally landed with another family-owned John Deere dealership and stayed there until 94 as, as a salesperson. Since then, we've lived in Georgia, North Carolina, and uh, Kentucky. Over the years, I've evolved from sales to sales management, and about 10 years ago, I shifted my emphasis to used equipment, and that's kind of where I've stayed. Our company, uh, I moved to uh, Kentucky in 2010, Started with H&R AgriPower. Our main line is Case IH. We have 13 dealerships in five states. We're, we're north-south north oriented. We go from southern Illinois to central Mississippi. We have dealerships in uh, southern Illinois, western Kentucky, middle and western Tennessee, north Alabama, and central Mississippi. We're primarily corn, wheat, soybeans, some livestock. In the southern areas, we get into cotton, down in Mississippi, there are catfish farmers and some peanuts. 
So we have a pretty uh, broad area that we cover. I work for them in their wholesale division. Uh, me and one other individual are responsible for appraising trends that salesmen are looking at. I think so far, I was counting it up, so far this month, we're, we've done about 495 appraisals. We stay pretty busy there. Yeah, I think if I want to know what the auction markets are doing, I, I give David a call. He watches it. And not only does he watch them on the internet, but he, he actually goes and watches them in person. That's the most intriguing thing that I, that I find about how your system works, David. Why, why do you like to go watch them in person and not just watch them on the internet? Say, say a salesman sends us a combine tour. Yeah. What the owners or the management group of the company want me and my partner to tell them is if we had to take this thing to an auction today what would it do if you put it on the money where do you think it would land okay so now we don't book it there that's not a booking number that is a wholesale value and when we send this in it's automated and, and, and they get an email saying the wholesale value is 95 to hundred thousand dollars they're going to book it higher than that, but the gap there is their measure of risk. The second part of your question is, why do I go to the auction? I do watch auctions online, but if you go to the auction, you get to see who bought the piece, how many bidders there were. Hopefully, you'll find out where it was going. You get to look at the piece. And you just play this little game in your head. When, when, a, when a tractor or a combine enters the ring, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, this thing ought to do ninety-five dollars to $100,000. If it doesn't, then in your mind, you're going to go out there and look at it and say, well, why didn't it do it? Or did a wholesaler buy it? Or did a, two farmers lock up on it? Or I mean, you can just get a whole lot more out of it if you go sit there in the seat. Yeah, that's uh, when I, when I watch them online, I, I hear what you're saying there because you watch them online, you don't really see where it went or who bought it or those kind of things. So you kind of lose that, that intimacy as part of yep. why they go. Is the guy's driving factor behind buying it? And, and yep. like you said, if it was a, was a wholesale guy or was a, was an end user, <clears throat> there's so many things that play into that. So you're right. But I, uh, I watch most of mine online and occasionally I'll see you at one yep. when I'm poking <laughs> around, but, but for the most part, I watch them online. And sometimes you'll see a piece sell and, and you'll you'll it just won't make any sense and you'll go out and look it over and you'll talk to other wholesalers or, or, or whoever and, and you, you, sometimes things bring more they just bring more or less than you they should but mm -hmm. and, and and those are the things you have to kind of call the highs and the lows out sometimes you know, right something yeah. brings in a, a crazy price you, you can't use that as part of your, your uh, decision making yeah, you got to take the anomalies and put them, put them yep. on both ends, especially because I've watched them where something sold for a incredibly low price, and I, sometimes I don't even take that one into consideration. But if it's falling into the into the mean of the rest of the stuff that I watch, I take that one into account. But if it's way outside, either high or low, I kind of left that off as a, you know, a, a one hit wonder, and we'll see what the next one does. Absolutely, but if you're at that same auction. Like the SEMA auction last November, we were all yep. at. Yep. If you, you know, they started selling a couple pieces there, and I'm saying, "Good Lord, this stuff is selling terrible." I mean, it's high. It's yeah. high. But you know, <clears throat> they move to the next piece, and it just sells like crazy. And then they move to the next piece, and you know, they just it was just a day where they had a ton of farmers there. Yep. There weren't that many wholesalers, 
you, you just got to use that information. That was one of those cells that I went to with play the what's it going to bring game with whoever stands yep. beside me, you know, and start kind of betting back and forth on what stuff's going to bring. But that that auction, I think, from my opinion, was if there were jockeys there, they couldn't have bought anything. Nope. All that stuff was bringing just a tick under under retail. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was bringing a lot. And I felt like it set the tone for the kind of that whole buying period there towards the end of the year. You know, you look at that that run that stuff made, even kind of carried over into the first part of the year. And I, I felt like, well, maybe the auction market has kind of rebounded a little bit, but it, it kind of fell back off. You know, it's kind of back down a little bit from what it was. But I think it was that soybean money that guys had that, that were out looking for a, uh, kind of a year-end purchase, and they kind of had some unex- unexpected income. I think it's probably the best way to put it that they weren't ex- they weren't expecting to have, and that's why we had those auction results like we had that, in the year. That was kind of the consensus for that day. You know, we're, yeah. I think everybody, I know me, you, Ben, a couple more dealers were there, and we were saying, "What's going on?" And somebody said, "Well, you no, know, they did have a, a good bean crop, and prices were pretty good." I think at the end of the day, we all kind of walked away and said, okay, that must have been it. It did set the tone. Yeah, it carried over throughout the end of the year. And that was, looking back on that, you can kind of, I kind of look at that SEMA cell as that one that really set the tone for what was going on, you know, for kind of a precursor to what was to come. And, and, and And the thing that day for me was, not so much who was there, it was who was not there. Right. And it, it, was, it was the wholesale buyers. Mm-hmm. But the other part of the picture was Sullivan's did something pretty smart that day. They waived the internet premium. So yep. the wholesalers didn't necessarily have to. I guess nobody really had to be there. Sullivan's did, did it right that day. I mean, they had a, yes. had a lot of their ducks in a row, and they did a pretty good job. Okay, so now let's shift down to your, to your local market. So... On the previous podcast, I've talked a lot about in my area, I'm starting to see the local auction as being somewhat of a competitor that we have to deal with. Not necessarily the overarching big iron auctions or the Purple Waves or, or um, even Sullivan or Richie, any of those. Those guys are still always going to be there, and I think that's always going to be something we have to deal with and kind of a, a off into our peripheral there. But it seems like to me we have a lot more on-farm auctions that are happening right now, whether it be a, a retirement sale or a um, moving to the next generation type thing or whatever it might be. But how's that local auction market affecting your, your business right now? We have a, a, a four-time-a-year local auction in our, our corporate offices in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and we have one there. It brings in a, a good number of wholesale buyers. As far as really having an impact, that one does not. You know, there have been last december january february there were a lot of farmers older farmers who uh call it quits you know they just said with prices being what they are i i could go on but i choose not to so they sold out and a couple of different auctioneers auction companies handled that in our area we probably lost some sales from people who went there and bought the, the local impact hasn't been that great, but it has been a it has been a somewhat of a factor too. So as diverse as your area is that you cover, I mean you're you're covering. I mean you have some very diverse farming opera, farming practices in your area. I mean you're doing everything from hardcore corn and soybean country all the way down deep south where your cotton and rice probably plays into a, a pretty pretty good segment of your farming uh, farming customers. So. What's the dynamics you're seeing there when you look at, at your auctions? I mean, you're talking stuff from Illinois all the way down into Mississippi and Alabama. What do you are those? Do you, are you seeing one area of an of, or another that's that's pl- showing more of a retirement sale 
action happening, or or what are you seeing? No, no, I, no, I think uh, you're always going to have your consignment auctions where people bring in their excess stuff that they just don't use anymore, or, or dealers will clear the lot of aged equipment or something like that. But as far as uh, geographic, I mean, the, the retirement auctions I feel have been. I haven't seen a difference north to south, and again, that's kind of how we're oriented. Through 2017, what are some of your short-term struggles and short-term opportunities that you see that you have to be presented with here coming through the end of the year? One thing we do also is uh, me and my partner carry a checkbook. So when we find a deal at an auction or um, you know an individual has a, a machine that they want, just want to get rid of, we, I mean, we, we can buy it. We don't even have to ask anyone. We just, if, if we feel like, we'll talk amongst ourselves a lot of the time and come up with consensus and if it's something we want to pursue we will challenge i'm seeing at auctions right now is there's not a big supply i, I feel like the the supply of good desirable equipment that i would be interested in has dried up you're just not seeing it there that much you know i had a wholesaler he drove seven hours to see me the other day he just showed up in my office and he had been to three or four of my lots already. And he said, man, you don't have anything. He said, I came south to try to buy some equipment from you. You don't have anything. And, you know, our, our used inventory is very low. The supply is, to me, seems like it's pretty tight at the auctions. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, when I look, I still see every once in a while, I'll see something. And it seems like a lot of it's coming out of Canada. When I look at the, at the sell bills that are coming out of Canada, the way they look at equipment, especially the further north you get, the number of hours that get put on a piece of equipment is drastically different than what what it does the further south you come right so when i look at the canadian stuff it seems like they do have some late and low model late and low hour stuff that's uh on those auctions you know and i've watched some richie sales where they've had quite a few you know nine r's that were 16 models or 15 models this and combines and and some new holland combines and and you know i've looked at some case stuff that they've had come through there that was all 2015 2016 you know 500 hours or less type stuff and but getting it out of canada is you know there's there are some it is a chore sometimes to get stuff out of there but it seems like there's some deals to be had up there we were talking earlier you know we we both do double crop beans in our areas so in a sense we're growing three crops in two years right so consequently we, we we pile up a ton of hours on our equipment so yeah I, I know what you mean you you get up even minnesota michigan the dakotas and into canada and they're just not using their stuff as much. i have friends uh i have a good friend that's uh, a john deere dealer up in ontario he's had an auction before and has talked to me about equipment but you know i just have never become well versed on what it takes to get stuff across the border and i just probably missing something there yeah. I mean, it's not difficult by any means. I mean, you can do it. It's not that big deal. But I think when it comes back, when I'm looking at the auction market in today's environment, I feel like the auction market today is almost the retail marketplace. Um, I'm not going to say that a dealer can't get more than an auction. That's not what I'm saying at all, because obviously they can. But there is a value statement that the dealer has to come up with that is going to say, sells at auction for this because we are a dealer and we can provide X, Y, and Z. This is why we're going to ask x percentage above auction value but it says something to me when you look at the number of wholesale buyers that are struggling to find equipment right now they're yep. they're, they're searching high and low and they used you know 
five, six years ago, they go to auction, they'd buy a piece, they'd turn around and flip it, and they'd make, you know, anywhere from five to twenty thousand bucks, sometimes even more than that, on the stuff they sold today. They're they're not making that kind of money, and they're they're lo- they're lucky to be really kind of actually making the deal stay whole. Say a farmer wants to trade in a, a Massey Ferguson or a Gleaner combine, you know, an Agco or or just say a uh, a Lexion. Four years ago. You know, we, we've got our group of wholesalers that will fire this appraisal out to and say, would you be interested in bidding this? And you would, you know, you send it to four, you, you may get two or three back. You send that out there today in, in nothing. It, in the salesman will say, the salesman will send that in and he'll say, I'd really like to have a check writer on this piece. And you say, okay. And, and you know, a day goes by and they call and you say, well, did you find a check writer? And I said, no, I, I can't get a response. And they say, what do you mean you can't get a response? Yeah, that's amazing how that works because that's the same exact same situation where I'm at. Just that the the wholesale guys I'd send stuff out to the uh, you know other dealer groups that I would send stuff to that were off color guys uh, from where I'm at. They would say, "Yep, I'm interested in doing this. If you get it traded for, here's what I'm interested at. Be happy to swap you your whatever for some some John Deere piece I got sitting on the on the lot or whatever it is." And I'm not even getting that anymore, you know. So it's no. It's it's a struggle. It's a struggle to find that 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 buyer for something. And you know, when a guy says, I, I, "If I've traded it in, I'd be willing to put this much in it," but I'm not I'm not a check writer at that price. You know, what what are you a check writer at? And then I don't even get that out of them. Like I'm not even willing to give you a number right now. The, the neat thing about what I do is I have a a great group of friends and contacts that I can call, and including the wholesale guys. You know, I'll have those guys, they'll, they'll send me a, an email saying, can you run me the bill codes on this? Or can you tell if this has warranty? Or, you know, you're, you're busy, but you take the time to do it because when my phone rings to them, I sure want them to pick up. Right. So at least you can push them and say, all right, I understand you have no interest. This is what I'm thinking. Am I wrong? And, yep. And you can usually get that. But yep. It's, it's it's tough right now. Yeah, a lot of my conversations when I do that same thing in with, but I have no interest in it right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, so it's, it makes me laugh every time I do that. I'm not a check writer, but this is what I think. Yep. Yep. We'll get back to Casey and David in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible, Iron Solutions. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to find solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and David started their conversation talking about the value of traveling to watch auctions live in person rather than monitoring them online, and whether or not on-farm auctions are becoming competitors for dealers. Let's get back to the program now and hear more about the impact lease returns are having on the used equipment market and how leasing will be part of business going forward. So how has uh, every every lending institution, every manufacturer, everyone's just got seems like a, a large volume of, uh, of lease returns sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. How's that affecting what you see happening across the auction market and what do you see happening in the used equipment market because of it? If you are at an auction and say a three-year-old tractor comes through, it's hard to tell if that's a good deal or not because 
say you raise your hand and you buy that thing and you haul it home and you get it cleaned up and detailed and you take photos and you get it advertised okay you're going to get a standard rate which is not terrible but these guys are still leasing equipment and they're still watching their cash flow now on that auction piece you bought you can't i mean you can work a lease on it but it's not com it's not competitive with a similar unit that's coming back from a manufacturer you know a lease return that you're going to turn around and release it's just yeah. not competitive so the challenge for me is what's a good deal to me right now what's a good deal is a tier three tractor with good hours you know 3500 hours you're not putting death in it and you know the guy who the older guy who doesn't want technology he's going to like that tractor and you know it, it leasing's not a it's just not a factor there mm -hmm. yeah that's where we're at too we have plenty of guys where we've had a lot of like oddities come out of the woodwork here of late seems like we've got machines that i because of what they are and that we're a dealership i don't feel like we can get the same amount of money that the that the farmer could get out of that piece yep. by advertising it what i'm looking at and what i'm seeing is you take we had a guy turn in the other day and i can't remember what it was it was like a 7520 maybe something like that but it only had like 800 hours on it had a loader and all that stuff and i'm like man that thing's gonna bring I think it'll bring twenty grand more than we could ever hope for getting for it. I really, I honestly yep. believe that. If he sold it himself, after we talked to the customer about it, I, I don't know how that conversation went, but not that not that we didn't want it, but we just can't. The first thing someone sees when they see it from us, obviously we rolled back the hour meter, right? I mean, we're we're trying to take advantage of somebody or something crazy like that comes to mind, you know? And right, but buying it from the from the farmer, he'll sell it to his neighbor for way more than we can get out of it. That same piece sells at auction. It would it would bring definitely bring more than what we could sell it for here at an auction yeah and it's just it's I just a non-issue yeah it's just crazy so i told the guy like sell him this one and tell him that if he wants to get max amount of his tractor he needs to sell that himself or even put it on the next the next big iron auction and he will yeah. sell it for a premium yeah. premium amount so i don't know what they're doing with that but that's back to your point about leasing is that's the first thing i look at when when i look at something that we're trading for or that we're looking at an auction or something like that is how do I book that? When I book that thing out, what's the TVP going to be, you know, trade value premium going to be, yep. and how's that going to base with a, a, a lease payment and how's that compared to what I'm going up against, whether it be another manufacturer or even the release stuff that's out there sometimes is, is a, is an okay deal. It seems like, it seems like to me that the release thing is, is in a lot of cases they want more money for the release than they do for the, when, than the, when they originally leased it. But, you know, everybody's looking to sell stuff right now. And and it's funny that we're talking about leases because I read an article the other day about, you know, the, the car lease, uh, lease returns and the construction equipment lease returns. And everybody's just drowning in these lease returns. Every every industry, if they lease something, they've got too many of them on, on lease return yep. coming back. and that's kind of a tell of, of what of what cheap interest rates do for you and kind of a tell as to what kind of what the health of the overall economy was. I mean, people were couldn't afford to go buy a new car, so they leased it for yeah. three or four or five years for 300 bucks a month instead of 800 bucks a month or something like that, you know. So it's there's trickle down across across our entire thing. So with all that being said, what do you see happening in the next 
12, 18 months with, with what happens to the lease returns and those kind of things. Here, here's one problem that I have. I stay in the wholesale market. So, you know, I, I'm guilty of not keeping up with what leasing rates. We, we have a used equipment manager and an F&I guy. They spend a lot of times looking at what can you lease this for? What can you lease that for? They're up on the lease programs. And that's probably one thing where I'm missing the boat is I don't take the time to study that. But I will say this, when you go to an auction, you know, a lot of the wholesalers know who I am. And in, in, in auction companies, the owners will come up to you and you'll say, what's happening with the lease returns? They are scared to death. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they're holding their hand on, you know, the, the button to launch the nuclear missiles or something. They're worried. <laughs> right. They're worried that one of these manufacturers are going to just, the green guys or the red guys, either mm -hmm. one, could just kill everybody in a heartbeat if they wanted to just flood the market. I mean, it's just a common thing at the auction. What are you hearing on lease returns? Nothing really. I mean, we're buying some, and, yeah. and you know, they're actively trying to get rid of them, but it's they're, they're parsing them out. They're not like, Here's 400 to choose from, boys. You know they they can't afford to do that. Yeah, and they've kept it they've kept it pretty quiet. You know, I mean, there's there's yeah. not a lot of that stuff out there for of public knowledge anyway. I mean, there's there's some stuff that gets out there and people know about whatever, but it's almost like they they remember the 90s. You know, the early 90s when everybody had all that lease return stuff coming there, and especially deer guys with uh with the what was it 9600 combines and and that debacle they went through there. So I think there's probably some lessons learned and they were trying to figure something out, but I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of where you're at. You know, there's, there's a, t there's going to be a time when something's going to give and maybe, maybe it won't give before the market corrects itself and gets kind of back to going in a, in a good direction. But sooner or later there will be some level of reckoning, I guess that that'll have well, to take place. Here's the other thing I think about is the, the the guy that has been leasing for what three four years now. Yeah, he really doesn't have any equity in his equipment anymore. Right, that's going to play into it also. Yeah, is it going to get to a point where leasing will phase out and retail financing will come back? Uh, this, these are things you think about when you have seat time going to an auction or mm -hmm. going to a store to look at equipment or whatever. I, I don't know. That, that, I guess that's the, the frustrating part is you go to an auction and you see this tractor and you think, yeah, that would probably work. But at the end of the day, would it really? What's going to happen? Okay, so you buy it today. What are they going to do if you sit on that tractor for 90 days, which is not unusual? Yeah. What what is, what is the leasing situation going to be in 90 days? Makes you kind of think maybe this, with this uh... – with the leasing thing going on the way it's going, that as that next generation comes in and they start looking at cash flow and, mm -hmm. and the struggles they've had now, that maybe equipment's not something they want to have, you know, equity in. Maybe maybe the cash flow perspective of it's just a widget to me and I'm going to go out and run it and put some hours yep. on it and then I'm going to kick it back out and for half the price as it would cost me to own it, I can go buy fertilizer, seed, and chemical with that. And, sure. and how that cash flow works. So maybe this, maybe this leasing thing's kind of opened Pandora's box a little bit here of, of kind of a a new normal. Um, because I, it seems to me that 
the generation coming in right now, they they really are they are more in tune about finding that good deal more than they are anything yep. else. Yep. And because they'll search the internet and these tractors all drive themselves now, so they can sit in the cab and punch around on their on their Planner iPad or their phone or whatever there is until the machine beeps at you and says get ready to turn, and then you <laughs> turn around and come back the other way. But I mean it's so they they have a lot of free time to do that, and I think that the cash flow thing now is that this generation is going to be very in tune to managing balance sheets, and I think leasing is going to play a bigger and bigger part in the future demand of business than it than it probably has in the past. It, it very well could be. Time will tell. Time will tell. only tell. That's for sure. That's for sure. But when we get back to eight dollar corn again, everybody will want to own their own stuff, and it'll be whatever. But I don't see that happening anytime yeah. soon. You know, so we'll see well, what happens. The, the, the guys now are, are they, they've leased something in in, in some. I know I hear in some cases they're releasing the, the, the lease comes up and they're releasing that tractor. Well, it's got more hours. And then are they going to release it again? You know, some of these tractors are going to soon have, what, 2,500 plus yeah. hours on them. Technology does change. It does. Yeah. So, but, it, it, you know, like to your point, will the manufacturer, is the leasing the new normal? And I think they're going to see, I think you start seeing hybrid, a lot of hybrid stuff where they have, some stuff that they have on a conventional note that we're used to seeing and and some of that fleet will be on a lease note and they'll just sure they'll just keep rolling that through but it also depends on time frames and all that stuff how all that stuff looks like right now we're rolling into the early order writing period for a lot of products you know planters sprayers air seeders those okay. kind of things and you know we take a look across there i know you deal pretty much in the wholesale side and, and if you can't really talk to this we can move on to something else but yeah, when you listen to your sales guys talk, are they are they they got a lot of guys out there talking about buying some new stuff, or are they still kind of on the fence back and forth? Mm, so I, still, not a lot of folks. No, not a lot of folks. Um, you know, we are a big Kenzie dealer, and and in good times, this time of year, and uh, yeah, this is still probably real early after wheat harvest. You know, in July we would spend a ton of time appraising planters. You remember a few years back, we were all stuck with a glut of, what, 16, 24-row high-dollar yeah. planters. Yeah, yep. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next month or so there. I, I think that the dealers and the wholesale market have all kind of flushed through their planter problem. So that's going to be the next interesting thing to watch. But as far, there are some people that are looking at new purchases, but you know, we're not appraising 25 pieces on a mud deal. That's right. very rare. Yeah. We're doing the same thing. It seems like our planner marketplace has really, um, we've really flushed out our, our market when it comes to planners. But with that being said, the planner market value hasn't changed, man. You look at, last couple of years and the values for a used planter on the auction is basically the same thing it was two years ago. I mean, nothing's really changed. Yep. You know, you didn't even year doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So you're, if it's a 24 row, 30 inch planter, whether it's a 12 or a 14 or whatever, it seems like they're all just kind of right around within a, a little bit of variance of each other. So it, it's uh the planter market to me is, is, I don't really foresee a big change in, in our used values as that goes. I think sure. there's some 
there's a lot of technology out there on the planner side that'll drive some new sales and i think guys will look at that and say it's worth the trade difference to to move into these different planners but um i don't really see a bunch changing anytime soon i don't mean i don't think the planner market's going to change anytime soon your comment about the technology i think that's one thing that will probably have a little bit of an impact but again it'll be it'll be interesting to watch it over the next month to six weeks yeah so when you're looking at planners and this is this is a, a philosophical argument i have with every sales guy in my that i deal with i think in my industry my uh my company when i look at planners i look at their 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 setups whether it be fertilizer mm -hmm. setup or whatever it is they have and to me i don't give that a lot of value because nope. the next guy that wants it honestly probably doesn't want that set up. It's yeah. a, it's a tough one to tell a customer he spent 50 grand or however much he spent on the on this fertilizer system and all the bells and whistles that, you know, John Q farmer coming in to buy that thing might want part of that, but he didn't want the surefire system, he wants the whatever system, you know, he wants yeah, he, he wants these openers and not those openers. He's got precision meters and he's got this and he's got that. Well, you know, as long as it's bulk fill and if it has row clutches, right. you know, and it, it has pneumatic down pressure, okay, that's good. But I can't sit there and say, okay, he spent X thousand dollars for this option here, yep. and now he wants to realize that back. You, you just say, sorry, dude, if you if you put that on an auction, it's just not going to happen. No, you know, it, it might bring a little bit more. If the, there's a person there that day that wants that and needs right. it, but if you could guarantee me that, you know, I would be a pretty smart guy. It's a struggle every day to, to make that, because it's a tough conversation to have, you know, it's, you're better off just trading in your, your row, row units and your bar that's attached to and stripping off all the other stuff and, and putting it on the next planet you got. Sure. Cause it's just not there. So what do you see high horsepower, real crop and four wheel drive tractors? So, when I look at the auction market now, it seems like to me that four-wheel drive marketplace has got a little bit of stabilization to some some extent. Um, but when I look at high-horsepower row crop tractors, that to me, I start taking a look at like an 8360R or, mm -hmm. or that, that horsepower range of tractor, that that $150,000 something is what's driving that marketplace. And it's Good. not it's not the... You don't see a lot of two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars stuff bringing what I think it would bring. You know what I'm saying? What's selling for two twenty-five, in my opinion, I thought would bring more than that, maybe two fifty, um, and even a little bit higher. But it just—it seems like to me that that high horsepower row crop segment, there's some softness there, and it just kind of depends on what day you catch it. That's either up or it's down. Yeah, yeah. I've watched guys at, at sales buy articulated four-wheel drives. Uh, and, you know, a wholesaler that's in one of our southern areas, we were up at Sullivan's uh, last July, and he bought a, uh, a Steiger road track, came out of Canada, and, you know, I went over and talked to him, and he said, you think that'll work? And I said, sure, I, it should. Well, he just did get rid of it, you know, and he took a loss. Yeah. And he says, never again which we'll see how that plays out. But right. Never is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, to me, it, it's still pretty soft. I don't know that I have a right answer for it. It's just, and, and I can buy equipment, but 
I just wouldn't go out and gamble on something like that. Right now. Yep. Yeah, it's now, it's back and forth, man. A ten model with twenty five hundred hours and row crop rubber on it, you know, yeah, I'd probably, you know, if I can get that at a fair price, yeah, I could probably do that. But I just I just think there there's probably there are probably more buyers for that seven year old tractor with twenty five hundred hours than there are for a uh, four hundred horsepower eighteen month two year old tractor with you know seven hundred fifty hours. It's because we're selling a payment. That's what we're selling now. We're not selling Absolutely. features and benefits. We're selling a payment, and yeah. that it's all about cash flow and risk management. And and that's why I think, like I said earlier, that 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 three hundred to three hundred fifty horsepower, three hundred sixty horsepower, high horsepower row crop tractor. Man, I tell you what, that's what that's why I see driving that marketplace. Like we can, and that's the other thing about you know, kind of getting back to this lease thing a little bit is when you start really looking at what you can buy those tractors for and then turn around and sell them and make good money mm-hmm. leasing them and what that TVP looks like. And, and then what that payment comes out to be, it is, it is cheap, man. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. then, and then what, like I said, I've talked about in a, in a previous podcast is that I'm concerned about now we're here. We have these cheap payments and all these different things. And what's that, what's that look like in three years when that machine comes back onto the marketplace? Is it going to be so high that we can't, I mean, where's the market going to go? Nobody knows that. I mean, you don't know what the market's yeah. going to be like in three years. There could be all kinds of things happen in three years that could drive the marketplace up and, and sure. could catch that. And I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of lending institutions and manufacturers are, are betting on the come. And a lot of them did that early, and it never the come never came. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but that's that's the if you want to move iron, you have to. There's games you got to play all, all the time. So, looking out here now, let's talk about some combines because I feel like um, both of us are be dealing with combines here pretty quick. What what do you see in the marketplace right now? What what are one, what are the de- combines in the demand in demand, and what what combines are uh, really kind of dragging things down? You know, that's a good question. Um, we are about to come into wheat. Um, I'm just as we're talking, I'm getting into where I appraise equipment. We are looking at some combines, but nothing like what we have in the past. Our combine inventory is not terrible. I mean, it's, it's actually in pretty good shape, but I'm not seeing a lot of interest in them at this point, which is not uncommon for wheat. Now, um, we'll get into corn in late August, early September, and, and we'll see what happens there. But, I don't have a good feel for it at this point. What, what are you seeing? Well, we're the same way. I mean, going into weed harvest, our usually our big push is is the first three months of the year, January, February, March. Um, a little trickle over into April and into May, but you know, when we start getting into late May, early June. We're, what we were going to sell is kind of that ship has kind of sailed until after weed harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So after weed harvest and after guys get their beans planted, that's when we start looking at guys coming back in starting to talk about you know use combines plus for what we're going into eop then you know uh, with combines so that's really that time frame from you know july into july into august that's when we really start looking at that second push um and very similar to you september late september um or late august into september we start looking at cut corn and and all the way through september pretty much and then we're usually done by thanksgiving ish somewhere in there 
yep. with, with all that stuff. And, and then that's when that push starts to happen. You know, we have that, that roll from, um, the end of October, you know, first middle of October through the end of the year is, is where we're going to see whatever used equipment activity that we're going to have happen. I haven't looked at as many combines as a percentage of the, of the evaluations that I've done, um, mm -hmm. this year that I had even in last year, you know, the way things were. So, um, not to, not to say that I am, I'm like anxious about that because I think guys are going to wait to see what they, what they produce what that looks like and then how much money they have and then what it looks like when they go back into double crop beans this year, which should be, our, our areas should be very good when it comes to that because there's lots of moisture in the ground right now. Um, it's hot now, wind's blowing, so we're going to have some, some issues with that. But we've got rain in the forecast, you know, throughout the end of, through this week. So there should be some good opportunities for, for guys with when they start looking at soybeans and, and, and milo and those kind of things. So, Hopefully we can get that basis up a little bit, move forward. But I think when I look at it, combines to me, I'm looking at the late model, low hour stuff um, that guys are looking for. Now, the sad thing about that is when you start looking at combines and that late and low hour stuff, that I, I have this this feeling that when I'm, you know, the guy that's got the 12 or the 13 or the 14, that's going to be trading in on that that mm -hmm. one or two year old one that the guy's trading getting getting the new one on. That his trade difference between those that that thirteen fourteen something up to that fifteen sixteen something is going to be the same, if not greater, than we get from the guy that went from the one or two year old one up to the new one. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a shock to a lot of guys. That it's it's going to be, you know, whatever the number is, hundred fifty grand to trade, um, and then even to get to that third guy, you're going to have another eighty to hundred thousand dollars to trade. You know, so it's just that combine market is has really settled into it's worth what it's worth. And there's, and yep. And the positive thing about that is though, the, the customers have all realized that, that I've talked to anyway, they, they don't really argue with you about how much more the machine's worth and that you're crazy. Um, but I think for us to be aggressive, we're going to have to just, you know, be aggressive with reason, I guess, but it's, well, yeah. and, and again, that's, that's why I do what I do. I, you know, the um, harvest auctions will start here, what, um, yeah, late later part of July and, and run on it into August. You know, a lot of farmers aren't there buying them, but you get a good sense of what's going to happen, what no, what no, number of units there's going to be out there. If the market's just flooded, you know, if the if the harvest auctions are just flooded with combines, it's oh boy, here we go. But I don't want to. I don't really expect that to be the case this time. Yeah. I, I look, I've watched several auctions where it was a hodgepodge of stuff. Like yep. none of it made any sense why they had what they had in it. And there was, cause there was really, you know, there's a, and a lot of it was they were, they have paid for stuff. They're trying to generate capital for to offset what they couldn't get from, from the bank. And I think that's happening more with these local auctions. than I think people want to admit there's a, there's a big custom cutter that's, that's going out of business that I'm going to, try to get to um it's in middle of june sometime i have to go back and look june at it the, the uh june the 11th or 12th yeah that's it over in lakin yep 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 and that and that's you know that's one I, i'm gonna go watch because there's there's a fair amount of inventory on that one uh, to watch stuff but it's also close enough to my local market that it could affect me you know what I mean? absolutely i mean that, lakin, that's one 
It's not too that, far that, away. Right, and that's one, you know, if I were in your shoes, I would go yep. and, and see who's there. Yep. Yeah, and, and ask questions. Who is this guy? Well, he's so-and-so. He's a farmer. Or he's a wholesaler or whatever. But, you know, it's, I just, I would encourage you to do that. Yeah, that's kind of on my, that's on my docket of things to do. So that'll, that one will take place. But there's, you know, so, I, you know, who's who's to know what's going to happen this year if we get a spike in corn price you know which they keep talking about this year is like one of those years where they can they're seeing some some positive in corn prices and you know soybean soybeans are what they are and the cattle market's kind of bouncing all over the place but there's there's some guys making money there again so yep. you know it's just back and forth who knows what's going to happen so sure. you know with that being said how do you see 2017 ending up both on the from a you know the retail market side as well as the, as the wholesaling. I don't know. I really don't know that I'm qualified to speak on the retail market. I just I think people are very cautious. Maybe that's the best way I can describe it. Um, it's it's going to depend a lot on what the commodity prices do and what kind of crop we have around here. Right now we've been pretty wet. But I mean, everything's planted and everything's looking okay. But uh, I just think guys are going to be pretty cautious. Watch their cash flow uh, on the wholesale side, unless the, the number of machines at auctions pick up, you know, in volume. I just wonder what it's going to be. You know, I usually leave home or late November and all of December, I'm out on the road going to auctions. I just wonder what that's going to be like. Yeah. I, I guess the, the, I hate to say I don't know, but man, I just don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah. I think if there's any year that I, I've looked at since I've been doing this, and I've only been doing this for 11 years, but so there's, you have vast more knowledge than I do about, about what's going on. But I think that there's, I think this year is, is, is one of those years that there could be um, some decent, if you're selling something, that this might be the year to take it to an auction, if if you're looking at that avenue, because if you have something that's laid out or late modeled, low houred, there's not going to be a lot of that stuff out there. You know, you're Correct. Gonna, you're going to have all those twelves and those thirteens and and those tens and all those different like when it was just so much equipment being produced out there, that th that stuff will show up out there, and it will bring what it's brought. You know, what you're used to seeing. Those those you know sixteen models. Even some of those seventeen models, if you want to go down that path, you you might be surprised at what it brings, just because of lack of supply and and, and there is some demand out there for that. That it could be, it very well could be. It it's just hard to say. Yeah. I, I don't know. If you want to roll the dice, this is the year to it's, roll it. I think it, 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 <laughs> it will be if you want to do it. That is true. Well. David, we've been going for a little bit here, and I feel like everyone's got a pretty good idea of, of how vast your knowledge is when it comes to, to auction values and, and, and tracking that stuff. And you're a great resource of mine and, and an even better friend, and I hope to see you out there on the auction auction path this fall. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, we've, me, you, and a few more guys, we've got our own little network where we talk weekly sometimes yeah. daily right what do yeah. you think about this and, and you know for those guys that are out there 
listening, I would sure encourage them to develop some relationships like that because they're invaluable. Thanks, Casey and David. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this hosted podcast by Casey Seymour, we're also tapping into his expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website, where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash asktheexpert. You can also catch extended podcasts from Casey on the Moving Iron Podcast, available on SoundCloud. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably. While Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us next time when Casey sits down with Frontline Ag Solutions. For Casey, David, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.